I, uh, as Craig reminded me, I uh, didn't announce that we have our AGM on the first Wednesday in October, which I believe is October the 3rd. Uh, I'll tell you more about that later. Let's turn to God's Word to First uh, Samuel and chapter 18. And we're going to look at chapters 18 to 20, although we're not going to read all of them. I'll just tell you the story as it goes on and uh, read some of the verses. Now we are here to baptize Peter and Karis and um, there are lo- lots of reasons that people give why we would do that. So, for example, uh, people are looking for a, an outward blessing upon a child. I was reading or hearing yesterday of the folks in St. Kilda that one of the reasons the population declined so much was so many of the infants died, and one of the reasons they died was the people um, thought that they could anoint their babies after the, the baby was born, and they would uh, uh, anoint the navel cord with um, bird oil, and it, it carried tetanus, and many of the children died because of that, and it was, but why were, why were the people doing it? What was the, the reason? Lots of us have different rituals in which we seek to, for blessing upon our children. Our children are, are so vulnerable. Well, baptism is, is not that. It's not a kind of way of, of protecting the children. It's a sign of what God has done. It's a sign of God's covenant. And what we're going to do today is look at that and understand what that is, I hope. And I hope that all of you, whoever you are, will come to see that to be part of God's family is, to be, is, is just the greatest thing. And we do that by looking at the story of David and Jonathan. Now, most of you know the story of David and Goliath. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 tells that story. And then after that, uh, David became incredibly popular. And he, as he triumphed over the Philistines, and he was seen as the savior of Israel. So let's just read the first few verses of chapter 18. I'm afraid Lex's mind's not working, so you're going to have to move on from me. That's fine. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Jonathan was David's son, uh, sorry, Saul's son, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan was the eldest son of Saul. He was himself a military victor, and he was the next in line for the throne. Um, In effect, he was Prince Charles, um, although at some point he probably was going to inherit. Uh, But he decided, he became knit together with uh, David, and the significance of that we'll see as, as we go on. Now, there's an incredibly It's a beautiful passage because there's an incredibly deep friendship. They became one in spirit. Their souls were knit together. You talk about your soulmate. Um, All of us need friends, and we have friends at different levels. Starting at the ridiculous, we have Facebook friends who are probably not real, Um, but some of you, many of you will have Facebook friends. Many of you probably have the sense not to be on Facebook, Um, but they're not your real friends. And then you'll have work colleagues, and you'll have acquaintances, and you'll have people who you meet. 
Uh, perhaps you're part of the dog walking fraternity, um, Balgay Hill. And you meet the same people as you walk the dogs around and you chat about each other's children and your friends in that way. Maybe uh, students, you've got a whole bunch of friends. Maybe you had friends at school and the test of those friendships are going to be uh, if they still continue. Because to be honest, let's, let's face it, a lot of our friends are people who we're acquainted with, who are useful to us and who we enjoy their company. But at the end of the day, we will each go our separate ways. But sometimes you get a friendship with people, with somebody, where it's, it is really special. You really click. You really connect. And it's not talking about a sexual relationship. It is beyond pathetic that our culture is so obsessed with sex that even reading this story, they say, oh, well, this is an example of a gay relationship. In the No, it's not. It's our culture's obsession with sex. And it's so sad, actually, in our culture that um, it's, for some people, it's very difficult to have strong relationships with people of the same sex without being accused of, of uh, being homosexual or gay in some way. But this was a genuine love, person to person, between two men. Second Samuel 1.26, we read this. After Jonathan died, David said this, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. And that love was expressed in different ways. As we read through the story, they embraced one another. They kissed one another. There was weeping. There was giving of gifts. There were vows of loyalty. There was an intimacy, a loyalty, and a strong emotional attachment. Great and deep friendship. Another aspect of this is being face-to-face. -face. Uh, that's a, a, an interesting part of it. They finished talking with Saul. Jonathan became one with his spirit. He loved him as himself. And Saul was kept, kept David there. And they were great friends in Jonathan's home. Being face-to-face, -face, Exodus 33, verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face -face as a man speaks with his friend. Ironic, isn't it, that Facebook is called Facebook? Because you don't see each other face-to-face. -face. It's an entirely artificial media. But this was face-to-face. -face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face-to-face. -face. This is a real friendship. And that, by the way, is why... Um, social contact. And again, you'll note the irony in saying that something's social media. It's really anti-social media. Social contact is so important. That's why for Christians, coming to church is so important because we connect with and we meet with one another. That's why the best way to communicate the gospel to people is face-to-face. It's a real friendship. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Real friendship has responsibilities and benefits. I feel, um, I feel enormously sorry for those in our culture who feel that they are not complete or they're not fully human because they're not in a sexual relationship with somebody. That's entirely wrong. In this congregation, as you've gathered, we celebrate um, the increasing number of children, and that's wonderful. But does that mean that those who don't have children are lesser or less important? Not at all. Not at all. Does it mean that you cannot have meaningful and fulfilling relationships? Well, only if you say that Jesus never had any meaningful and fulfilling relationships. 
He had friends. And I tell you this, friends are really, really precious. And I, and I do think that we need to think a whole lot more about our friendships and how we develop friendships. Here, look what they did. They made a covenant, verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. A covenant was an unbreakable relationship like marriage is meant to be. And again, note in our culture how we have redefined marriage in our culture so that it's a very breakable relationship. But a covenant is something that's meant to be unbreakable. And notice also that it was very self-effacing. Verse 4, he took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Why, would, why was he doing that? What's the significance of that? He was doing two things. He was recognizing David's worth, but he was also relinquishing his own position. In effect, it's Prince Charles saying to his greatest rival, here, you have it, it's yours. He loved Jonathan enough to give up. You see, most of our friendships, we use people to, to advance our own position. Real friendship is when you will give up things that you really value for the sake of those you love. This prince renounced the throne in favor of a friend whose character he admired. This was an act, I think, of a person who has great faith in God because only great faith makes us willing to be lesser. Only great faith will, will allow us to step down from where we think we should be. Jesus describes this, doesn't he, this friendship, this great friendship. John 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So it's very self-effacing. But then there's a covenant of love. There's that covenant of love in terms of the friendship. There was a covenant of love in his family. Chapters 18, 19, and 20 are really a story of jealousy and of wrongdoing. It's kind of like an Old Testament uh, soap opera. It's a story of a real messed up family. Saul tries to arrest David at Samuel's where he's fled for help and then Saul is raging, angry, even violent against his own son because Jonathan seems to take and does, in fact does indeed take the side of David. David's situation is incredibly serious. In chapter 1 verse 3, we read this, David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What's my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied, you're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding me. Why should he hide this from me? It's not so. Jonathan is saying, I don't believe this of my dad, but I'm going to protect you. That's what he, he, he's saying. Now, why would David turn to Jonathan, to the son of the man who's trying to kill him? Because of the covenant that was made in chapter 18. Because David believed it. And because Jonathan stuck by it as well. We'll go on to... Uh, yeah, let's go on to, Can you move on to the next one, Alex, for me, please? You'll see there, David took an oath. Your father knows very well I've found favor in your eyes. He said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. This is an incredibly serious situation. Your best friend's father is trying to kill you, and you're telling your best friend 
that this is the case. In verse 8, he then goes on in, in, of chapter 20 to appeal. He says something very interesting. He says, as for you, this is David speaking to Jonathan, as for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? And it's, again, that covenant again is mentioned. And the kindness there is a wonderful word in Hebrew, hesed. And it carries this idea of faithful love, of loyalty, of reliability, of faithfulness, of dependability, of committed affection. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Families, you will often find in families, where do you, where do you get most of your trouble from, to be honest, many of us? It's from our families, isn't it? Families betray. Families, where do you fight most? Probably in your family. You say, well, my family's not like that. Well, I've been involved in enough funerals where there was money involved and just seen what happens afterwards. Don't pretend. Families are incredibly intense at times and tense. And I suspect most of us here would simply say that the biggest troubles we've had with our families are just, just as possible the biggest joys that we have had as well. The dilemmas of, of broken relationships. But to have someone whether family or friend who, is, who is, has faithful love, who has loyalty and reliability and faithfulness and committed affection. Have you ever experienced when you thought you had that with a friend and then you discovered that behind your back they were gossiping about you or they betrayed you? An enemy betraying you, that's not a problem because you know that's going to happen. But a loyal friend betraying you that, that is a massive problem. And then we go on in chapter 20 to verses 12 to 17. Can we move on to that? Show me unfailing kindness, says David, like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Again, this is all the, the, the chesed, the, the faithful kindness. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, try and put yourself in the shoes of Jonathan for a moment. He loves his dad. Of course he loves his dad. He can't believe that his dad would do this. His dad was a hero. But then he becomes absolutely convinced of it and this must have been an earth-shattering event from him for him and yet what he does here is he hands over his father's dynasty he hands over his own throne to David note the repetition of the love as he loved himself note again the self-effacing and the sacrificial notice the voluntary commitment to sacrificial love how rare and how deeply moving most of us, when we talk about love, we mean like. And most of us, when we talk about love, <clears throat> even with those closest to us, we do it because we're expecting something in return. It's not often we see real sacrificial love. But Jonathan's life is not centered in his ambition, what he can get, but in God's covenant promises. What the Lord has said. What the Lord has said. I like the saying that 
Life does not consist in achieving your goals, but fulfilling your promises. And from a Christian perspective, I would just simply say this. Life doesn't exist (coughs) in achieving your goals, but just simply in relying on the promises of God. Now this story unfolds. Jonathan returns to Saul. There's a major feast. David's expected to be there. First day, (coughs) Saul thinks he's not here because he's ceremonially unclean. The second day, he asks Jonathan. Jonathan covers for his friend, and Saul is so angry that he even attempts to kill, in a fit of temper, his own son. Jonathan returns to give David the prearranged signal. Uh, They meet, and then there is this incredibly moving scene at the end of chapter 20, where after the boy got up, had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Their friendship was there, But from now on, it was going to be one of deep, deep anguish. And ultimately, it will end up in Jonathan's death. Go in peace. He's not saying there will be peace. He's saying there's going to be peace between us. And there's going to be peace between our descendants. Because they recognize that everything we do affects other people. We live in an incredibly selfish society where people are told, you just be who you want to be and do what you want to do. But if you do that in your family, you will hurt your family. And you do that in the community of this church and you will hurt the church. And you do that in your neighborhood and you will hurt your neighborhood. In fact, I believe that that's one of the reasons that there's so much difficulty and trouble in our culture because people are utterly self-absorbed. And this type of friendship And this kind of covenant is impossible for us. Now I want to move on from that and to go into the New Testament and to look at some verses from Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Where the writer says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, writing to Christians. You've come to thousands upon thousands of people in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to the... God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's that got to do with what we've just been talking about? It's back to this idea of covenant. When you get married, you make a covenant. Maybe most of us don't have friendships like David and and, uh, Jonathan. I do remember as a small boy reading the Indian's used to cut themselves and mix their blood to say that they were friends. So we tried to do that with a branch one time. It didn't work too well. But uh, me and my mate, you know, that's it. We were going to die together sort of stuff. It lasted about a week. But um, we, we, don't, we don't do that. But in, in marriage, you, you make a, a covenant promise. I think that uh, when you become a member of a church, you're making covenant promises and when children are baptized, there are covenant promises that are made. So what, what's this idea of a covenant? Now, again, let me say this. To those of you who are Christians, 
There are themes in the Bible that if you know what the themes are, they really help you understand the whole Bible. And covenant is absolutely one of them. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're sitting at the covenant meal. When we baptize, it's the covenant sign. And David and Jonathan's a really good illustration of that because they were, they were bound in this relationship which was sealed by a covenant. It was a covenant of love between them. But the greatest covenant is the covenant of love between God and his people. Exodus 34, 6 says this, that you are the God who abounds in love and covenant faithfulness. God keeps his promises. Now, a covenant doesn't come cheap. Any relationship that is going to have any depth in it does not come cheap. We celebrate when we have communion, the covenant meal. We'll do that next Sunday evening. And when Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, as such, it's a covenant of love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. When we sit at his table, when we, we, we drink the wine, we're remembering that Jesus so loved us that he gave himself for us. It's a covenant that we have with, with God. We come into relationship with God because of the covenant. Abraham is described in the Old Testament as a friend of God. And Jesus makes us his friends through what he does for us on the cross. More than that, he brings us in to the family of God. That is found in the Old Testament, expressed in different ways. The covenant is found there, and the covenant is found in the New Testament. The idea of covenant is not done away with in the New Testament. And in both the Old and the New Testament, the covenant includes our families. At the end of chapter 20, David swears to Jonathan that he will look after his family. And later on, we read the story of Mephibosheth, how David provided for and cared for him because of that covenant. When we come to trust in Jesus, that affects our whole family. I think that it's right to say that all of us need to come to a saving faith in Christ for ourselves. When we baptize a child, we're not saying that that child is regenerate. We're not saying that. But I think it's a phenomenal error, biblically, for us to say that, well, when I become a Christian, that's just it. It doesn't affect everybody else. Yes, it does. It affects everyone. It affects your work environment. It affects your community. It affects um, your family. And there are people who recognize that. That's why there's such opposition sometimes to someone being baptized. I think of a, a Muslim friend who knew that when they were baptized, that was their family split up. That's very, very hard. But I think also of others who said this, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I love that uh, in the story of the Philippian jailer, we're told, or the Philippian jailer is told, you, you, singular, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you, and then plural, and your household. He's told you believe and your family will be saved as well. Craig and Amy entered into a covenant of love when they got married. They also have entered into a covenant with God. They both received the sign of that covenant. 
a sign of belonging to God and his family, that was baptism. Now, what about their children? It's Tabitha, Peter, Caris. Do we say, no, they don't belong. They, they, don't. They, they have to wait until they get old enough. Do they not belong to the children of God? Now, I realize that um, different Christians have different understandings, so I accept that it's not as black and white as I'm portraying it, and uh, doubtless there could be people who could say another way of looking at things, but for me, I, I find it really, really hard to conceive of having children as part of this fellowship who are not really part of the fellowship in the most extreme form. That photograph you saw there at the beginning of my grandfather and so on. My grandfather was original Glanton brethren, and most of you won't have a clue what that means, but um, it, was, it was really quite extraordinary, and they belonged to a group um, which was the closed brethren. Now, I didn't find them very closed at all. I found them to be very, very open and, and very welcoming, but a, a, a sub-branch of that became known as the Taylorites. And the Taylorites took the idea of uh, salvation being individualistic and nothing to do with your children very strictly. So the Taylorites, when you got to eight years old and you weren't converted, they wouldn't let the children sit at the table with the parents. So you had to sit in a separate room to have your meal because you weren't to have fellowship with people. I mean, it was a cult. It became a cult. Uh, thankfully, my grandfather never went near that. He knew that that was wrong. But they were taking it to an absolute extreme, and of course, it was nothing to do with God, it was nothing to do with the Bible, and um, the man after whom it was named Taylor was later found not only to be a false prophet, but to be an immoral and ungodly man in many ways. But the harm it did. And I remember some of the extremes of that in a way. And then I remember reading a man called William Still, a little booklet that he had, because... Uh, thinking of getting married and thinking, well, maybe children come along, and even then being predisposed to thinking that the world was a terrible place. And uh, I, I remember thinking, why would, why would anyone want to bring children into this world? I can't do it. I can't look after them. I mean, imagine me being a dad. I mean, that was just a horrendous thought to me. Um, and some of the young men here will appreciate that. You just can't imagine yourself. I couldn't imagine myself. And I just thought, I can't do this. And then I read this little booklet by William Still. And it, it really helped me a lot. It was subtitled, Bringing Up Children in the Faith that They Will Become, become the Children of God Rather Than the Fear That They Won't. Some have lived in an, in an environment of fear. What if they don't become Christians? What if this happens? What if that happens? And we understand that. When you have a newborn baby, and, you know, especially... I'll just say this from a male perspective. You're a young man, and it's your first child, and you have a newborn baby, and it's so precious and so valuable, and you, and you, you worry about absolutely everything. So your granddad takes the baby out for a walk. Only out for a walk. 30 minutes. Is he okay? You're texting. Is he okay? Is he all right? Why? Because you worry about everything. Of course you do. And I wouldn't want to bring a child into this world with what I know of it, unless I really believed in the covenant of God. And I think we need to, I'm certain that we need to encourage this covenant understanding of our families and of the one family of God. So Peter and Caris are being baptized because of the covenant of love between God and his family, because of the promises of God, because they are belong, because they are 
members of this congregation. Now, that is not saying that they are born again. The same way as it's not saying when you become a member as an adult that, that you are. We don't know. But it is saying that they do belong until such time as they themselves decide to walk away. You kind of have two views with this. There are genuine Christians who think you don't belong to the church until the time you decide yourself to belong. And then there are others, like ourselves here, we believe that the children belong to the church until the time they decide to walk away, if that happens. And thankfully, my experience has been that the vast majority do not. Let me say just a couple of other things about this family. It's an open family. I know uh, my actual family, I could say, look, you can come and join it if you want. Well, I've only got one daughter left, so (laughs) you'll have to be quick. But um, please don't tell her I said that. (laughs) Uh, Write everything down. Um, (laughs) You have to be, you know, you you can't really belong to our family. Not really. I suppose we could adopt and, and so on. There's a sense in which families are almost by definition quite closed. But the Christian family, it's so different. Everyone is welcome to belong to God's family. As we acknowledge our sin and our weakness and our need of Christ, as we seek him and receive forgiveness and new life, we belong to his family. Some of us wandered far, far away from Christ and we're invited back. Some of us maybe never ever have known him and yet the door is open for each and every one of us. And I think that is wonderful. See, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And the contrast that's said there, there is the blood of Abel who was murdered. This is humanity. This is what humanity does. Human beings are cruel to one another. Human beings are violent. Human beings do have dysfunctional relationships, and let me tell you, every single family here suffers from that. All of us, as individuals and as families and as groups, suffer from that. But the covenant of Jesus Christ, the blood of Abel was the blood of somebody who was murdered, and it didn't do anything other than testify to the violence of humanity. The blood of Jesus does something that is utterly astonishing. He was murdered. But his death cleanses us from all sin. And that's how we remember it. And that's just for me, just the most astonishing and wonderful thing. And by the way, that's what makes Christian families Christian, not the name. Not a kind of self-righteous, smug superiority. Not a religiosity, but just a simple understanding that we are weak and that we are sinful, but we belong to God's family and we commit everything to him. It's why we say grace at meals. It's why we pray. It's why we read. It's why we we learn together. We're part of (coughs) the covenant. And that is hugely significant for all of us. So those of you who are Christians, you're part of God's covenant. Those of you who've been brought up in a Christian family, you're part of God's covenant and you yourself need to come to a living and saving faith in Jesus. You've had tremendous advantages that many other people don't have and you must not walk away from them. And those of you who are not yet believers, 
who don't know really an awful lot of what I'm talking about, please grasp this and get this. You need to become part of the family of God. Not a cult, not just a religion, but you need to be born again into the family of God. And here is the most wonderful news. You can earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. It's offered to you. You just receive it. Let's just pray. Lord, we ask that as you remain with us and as you teach us from your word, and as we understand what friendship is, that we would grasp something of the covenant, a covenant of love, what it cost Jonathan and David to be bound to one another with that deep love. But Lord, that pales into insignificance with what it cost you to be bound to us with your deep, deep love. Grant, O Lord, that we would belong to you, that we would accept your covenant promises, that we would come into covenant with you and grant our God your blessing upon the covenant children in this community of your people. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Now we're going to sing, and maybe someone can go and get the children as well as, as we do sing. Um, we're going to sing the song, We Praise God for His Covenant. Uh, we'll stand to sing it as the words come up. We praise God for His covenant with Abraham long ago to give Him many children so that the world may know. And the point of the covenant is not to be enclosed, but it's to bless all nations. Um, and who knows, the, with Peter and Caris and Tabitha, what great blessings will yet arise out of that family, not just for the nation of Scotland, but maybe well beyond that. Let's stand and sing, we praise God for his covenant.